Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambutasa Mm. Very sweet to hear everyone chant that together. So, um, can you hear me okay in the back? All right. So I wanted to speak a little bit tonight about the the, the four stages of awakening. And uh, Venerable Analia will speak a bit more tomorrow about the the path and fruit going into going into more detail, but I just kind of wanted to bring it in. And um, also, before I start, just to acknowledge the the potency in this room. There's a sense of, of potency from all of our practice together, and from the you know from the sila that we're keeping, and from listening to the Dharma and and practicing. It's just like it feels quite. Uh, Quite a rich field, and um, I'm I'm aware of, of what a what a precious thing this is. You know, it's not easy for these conditions to come together. So uh, I'm just enjoying that as I sit here and and having mudita for all of us being in this retreat together. And it may be the internal experience may not be wonderful, you know, but still here we are doing the work. And uh, and that has uh, has a good effect. And we support each other in this. You know, when we're practicing like this, often we can we can keep going much much uh, longer or deeper than if we were alone or in a small group, or coming from our busy lives into a sit. You know, so it's just uh, wonderful to experience these supportive conditions. So the f- the four stages of awakening. You may all be very familiar with them. The first being the uh, stage of stream entry. And then, uh, so one who's realized stream entry, there's the path and stream entry path and stream entry fruit, which Venerable Anali will speak a bit more about tomorrow because there's been some confusion around that uh, in the different different texts that have come down. And... uh, one who has realized the fruit of stream entry is um, is destined for enlightenment. <clears throat> there's uh, there's no way that a stream entry will fall back, uh, forget, lose contact with the Dharma um, f- completely. There may be moments. And um, they are unable to take a lower rebirth. So I was speaking, last time I spoke a few days ago, I was speaking about this like endless round of rebirths and you may or may not resonate with that. For me it's it's deeply resonant and always has been actually since quite a young age. And uh, so this, uh, the stream enterer has seen the Dharma clearly enough to not get caught, not get pulled down into the the animal realms, the 
hungry ghost realms, the hell realms, and uh, will will is destined for nibbana. So they may, in that very life, realize nibbana, or they may have several more lives. So in the suttas, it talks about seven more lifetimes, but numbers in the suttas are a little bit arbitrary. So seven generally means like not many, <laughs> and five hundred means a lot. You know, <laughs> so. So it probably means not many. It may not mean exactly seven, but but within a, within um, you know one isn't just lost endlessly, circling around and around through another birth, seeking another pleasure, another another identity, another uh, possibility for fulfilment. So there's uh, the stream enter has seen the Dharma clearly enough to to not uh, do anything that will that will pull them down into these into the lower realms so there's not only um not too long to to stay around but also the life is going to be okay you know a human life or or a life of it uh, in one of the deva realms and uh the the stream entra You know, it's it's. Uh, I think when we first, when I first lived in the monastery, it's like quite a lot of excitement around stream entry, and I don't know if that's true for you guys too. I don't know. They're like, oh, stream entry. You know, let's go for that. And um, and of course, then we meet all of our all of our huge lifetimes of of, of karma <laughs> when we're we're just trying to strive for this uh, this breakthrough. And. Uh, it can be beneficial to have the the sense of, of of that as a goal, and it can be unhelpful. Kind of depends a little bit on the, on the individual. So it can be like that one one's so focused on trying to realize stream entry that you that you are just a self trying to get somewhere, get away from somewhere, and that's as I was speaking before. Then we're just caught again in that endless cycle. Um, but it can also be helpful to put the causes and conditions in place for a ripening to happen. So um, a very, very important support is to to live with good ethics, good sila. You know, without that we're kind of not going to get very far. And uh, to have good friends, friends who will support us, who will um, encourage us in the path, on the path. So if we're, if we're always hanging out with people who are, you know, just want to have fun or, or get into philosophical conversations which don't really lead anywhere or whatever, then it's, it's not going to support us. So to find, it's okay, a little bit of that, but to find, um, you know, to find people who, who understand the importance of this of this path and practice, and who support you, us, in this path and practice. And, uh, you know, the Buddha says, if you find a friend who can, uh, who can support you in this way, you should stay with them, you should stay close to them for a long time. Keep them close to you. Don't just say, oh, thanks, and then I'll do the next thing, but really um, treasure those people. And I think you know, honestly, in in the in America, the conditions are remarkably good 
for this for this practice. I mean, there are there are many practitioners. There are many meditation groups. There are many teachers. There are um, wonderful trainings uh, offered to deepen the practice and deepen the one's understanding and and one's meditation practice. And it's not so hard to find people. So I know I know folks who um, connect online. You know, in 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 the morning, three or four people will just meet together, do some chanting, and then meditate on the online together in different places, and then go off to work and do their thing. And it's it's very very supportive. So even if you're not you don't have somebody nearby. In this country, there's there's like a richness of of dharma and of, of uh, sangha. So to really um, make use of that and uh, let it be a support in your, in your path and practice. So the, the Buddha says uh, many things about the stream entry. He says um, one who has uh, realized stream entry is, uh, this is greater than then power over all the world is the realization of stream entry. Greater than the, the, most, the, the greatest wealth or the greatest treasure is the treasure of stream entry. And uh, when, you, when you hear this at first, you think, wow, you know, it must be, really, must be really, really powerful if it's greater than power over all the, all the world. But it's more that when one realizes stream entry, you realize, it's, it's meaningless. Power over all the world has, is meaningless. It's empty. <laughs> the world is a, it's fluxing. It's changing all the time, you know. And greater than the greatest treasure in the world. I think, wow, it must be amazing. But, the, you know, the, the stream enterer understands everything that arises, passes away. Everything's in that state of flux that uh, Venerable has been pointing to. You know, he's been speaking about momentariness and then in the... In the Commentaries and then the early teachings, something there's a beginning, a process, and then an end. So the stream entry knows that process, knows that beginning, knows that process, knows that end. So even the most beautiful jewels are in process. They're not really what they appear to be. So it's more that um, the the uh, the power and the wealth is being able to see things as they are be able to see the truth of the way things are directly. So, um, the, the stream entry, the, 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 the moment of, of um, insight for a stream entry, for, for the one who has um, realized the fruit of stream entry, they, they see for just a few moments, it's like seeing with the eyes of a Buddha, seeing clearly the, the, the constant changing nature of things, the flux of things. And sometimes it's spoken about as though, you know, most of the time we have these veils of, of uh, delusion, veils of ignorance over our, we're looking through these veils, we're not really seeing things as they are. And then for the, for the stream entry, it's like, been ripped, that veil's been ripped away for a few moments, and then you see like, wow. You see directly the, the flux of, of everything. And then uh, after a few moments, 
the veil comes back, because there's still karma to be worked out, it's not done yet. But one has seen clearly the truth of the way things are, so you can never forget that. You can never really go back into believing the stories in the way that one did before. And uh, in, in realizing stream entry, the first of the, th of the, the Buddha speaks of ten fetters, ten things that hold us back. So in realizing uh, the fruit of stream entry, the first three fetters have been cut. They're not going to come back. And the fetters are um, Sakaya Ditti, which is um, literally believing that this body is who and what I am. But it's really it's pointing to the five khandhas. Pointing to the five aggregates, of believing that these five aggregates are who and what I am. So that's cut. You've seen through that. You know that is not the truth of it. And even though, of course, you know this, you know you still move away from painful feeling, and you still want to have nice experiences, and there's still a sense of of a, a person on the path cultivating the path. There's that those things, those those um, things can still be there, but uh, there isn't a, a, a a true deep belief that this process here is who and what I am. It's, it's seen as a process, it's seen for what it is. And, um, and then the, the second of the fetters is uh, vichikicha, or doubt. So doubt in the, in the Buddha, that the Buddha was awakened, was an, ara was an arahant, fully awakened one doubt in the Dharma, that the, the teaching leads to liberation, and doubt in the Sangha, that there are those who have realized different levels of this awakening. So that is, that is cut on the, for, the, for the Sri Mantra. And then the third one is um, Sila Bhatta Paramasa, or uh, the belief that f uh, following rites rituals, I like to think techniques, goes in there, will um, get us enlightened. So it's, it's believing that something external that we do, or that we, that we put onto our life, will, will, will bring full, full awakening. And uh, the Buddha is very clearly pointing to, you know, the, the seven factors of awakening, they will bring us, they will bring us realization. They're not some external practice. They're not like if you watch the breath here or um, if you bathe in the river Ganges every day or you know, whatever it might be or if you, if you bow to, the, to your Buddha shrine every morning and take, reaffirm the precepts, that's it's a good thing to do but it's not going to bring you full realization. It's the, it's the, it's the mindfulness, the investigation, the um, energy, you know, looking, exploring, looking—that's that's what leads us to uh, to awakening, the the seven awakening factors. So those three fetters are cut in the stream mantra. So they're no longer trying to get the right technique. You know, if only I, I know quite a number of people have said, "Can we get the? Can we listen to um, the recordings of Venerable Analia's?" meditations because we want to get it down exactly you know we want to somebody was wanting to get their cell phone so they could get look online and listen to the talk you know 
the, the teaching is offered and then we each have to find our way. So, um, just I think last night, Shaila was saying, I hope it's okay for me to say this, Shaila was saying, if uh, at the end of this retreat we have 97 different ways of, of practicing Anapanasati, we know that the retreat's been successful. <laughs> so you have to make it yours, you have to make the practice yours. And we're different, you know, different people have different strengths, different uh, skills, different levels of, um, different amounts of, of uh, supportive or, or obstructive karma, you know, we, we're all different. And uh, one of the things I, I really appreciate in when the, in the Buddha's framework of this, of these stages of awakening, is that he points out that some people enter into stream entry, so it's called um, those who have, um, there, are, there are those who are Dhamma followers, and there are those who are faith followers, so Dhamma Nusari and Sadha Nusari. So, Venerable Analia is clearly of the Dhamma leaning, so the Dhamma, the Dhamma Nusaris, he may be a little, I don't know, the Dhamma Nusaris are those who, whose minds are, uh, love to investigate the Dhamma, explore the Dhamma, apply the Dharma and uh, and it's through that investigation and through that um, understanding and, and application of, of the teachings that they they enter the stream. And then the Sadha Nusaris are the, the faith followers. And uh, it's said that the, for the Sadha Nusaris the, the practice of mindfulness of impermanence is their access to stream entry. It's kind of simple. It's very doable. So uh, I struggled for a long time with, with uh, my mind <laughs> because I'm, I'm very much not a, um, one who... Uh, my, my, I, my mind is somewhat simple. It doesn't, like, it doesn't do complexity very well. And um, for a long time I felt like, oh gosh, you know, I'm kind of... Maybe I don't have what it takes, you know, to do this. And it's... Uh, because I'd be in the monastery with all these, it's kind of an intellectual religion, isn't it, to some degree, Buddhism. So I'd be in the monastery with all these like super brains and you know, people who loved to study the suttas and the commentaries and the commentaries and the commentaries and then I'd be like, um, you know, well, I can watch my breath and... Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, at times feeling quite a little desperate, actually. It was just like, oh gosh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not the right kind of material. But uh, actually, Shito very kindly pointed this out to me. He's like, no, there are those who enter through investigation of Dharma and there are those who enter through faith. They both, they both, um, they're, they're different entry points, but they both lead to the same truth. And um, it doesn't actually say this in the suttas, but it, it kind of seems to be that for those who enter through investigation of Dharma, as they progress on the path of faith gets stronger and stronger how could it not you know if, if you if you realize the the stages of awakening of course the faith is going to be deep and then for the for those who enter through faith understanding of the teaching gets stronger as time goes by so it may not be immediately there but as time goes by there's just there's because there's a natural interest in like in understanding the dharma and uh, applying the dharma and it may not be like brilliant you know like it may be a simple way, but it's still there's a there's a 
a deepening, uh, there's a deepening of understanding of the and of the frameworks of the Dharma and how that works and how we can use those to continue um, letting go. So I really appreciate that that it's uh, that there are these there are these different entry points and also um, you know the Buddha's chief disciples his his male disciples Sariputta Moggallana Mahamoggallana and female disciples um, uh, Bhikkhuni Kema and Bhikkhuni Upalawana you know one of both of those that one Sariputta and Kema are um, form- they're like known for their understanding of Dhamma so they're good intellect you know and and um, strong investigation of Dhamma and Mahamogalana and Upalawana are known for their psychic abilities very different and they're both well all four of them are the chief disciples of the Buddha it's like oh that's kind of nice too so, so it's not like we've all got to be a certain way because I think that sometimes gets it can feel a bit like that in the western Dharma scene that we're all supposed to be a certain way you know and we're supposed to be able to understand these intellectual teachings and we're supposed to be able to do this that, and the other and and for some people it just doesn't work like that so to trust your own way to trust you know, to know where do you start where are you starting from what is your your natural inclination and and to to see your strengths and to work from your strengths and not to think that you should be somebody else and fit into some cookie-cutter mould of what you think it should look like, because it looks like all kinds of things. It, it, the, the, um, the Buddha's disciples were varied, you know. They had all kinds of different qualities and, and strengths and skills, some leaning towards asceticism, some very kind of sociable, some... Um, like I say, you know, some having these psychic abilities, some being being able to just hear a tiny little bit of the teaching and then and then being able to elaborate on it in great detail. All sorts of folks. And uh, the path is, you know, it is is for you. It's for us. It's not for somebody else. I mean, it's for everyone. It's not that uh, other people can do it and, and you can't. So uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi once said that there are only two things you need to, uh, to realize the, the path. The first is to start practicing and the second is not to stop. <laughs> so I think that we, uh, we can all do that. We've already started. So the stream entry, you know, once one realizes stream entry, it's like it's a huge um, shift of paradigm. We're no longer in that uh, endless round of rebirths. And uh, our minds, or one's mind, is is inclined towards the Dharma. And, uh, and also towards sila. So said that a stream enterer is not able to, or is able to break the five precepts but it's not able to conceal that. So if they break any of the precepts, they'll immediately want to just tell somebody, clear that up. So they're not, there's no, there's no um, incentive to try and cover things up, hide this and that. You know, that's, that's the self that does that. Or let's hope people think I'm better than I am. Or let's not show them that I do that embarrassing thing. And 
So if the stream entry, the sila, the level of sila is is uh, stable, and uh, it's also said that the the stream entry dwells dwells at home with a heart of generosity, free from the stain of stinginess. That they uh, that they're generous. That they love opportunities to be generous. Um, that they look for ways of, of being able to offer. So whether that's materially or in terms of the teaching or in terms of a listening ear, there's many, many ways we can be generous. So the, the stream enter is uh, uh, it's spoken about it as the, the streams of merit of a, of a stream enter, the merit of having unshakable faith in the Buddha, unshakable faith in the Dharma, Unshakable faith in the Sangha. And, and then there are two different suttas. One says, and this stable virtue, the sila. And the other says that they dwell with this heart of generosity, looking for opportunities to be generous. So these are the streams of merit of a stream mantra. But it doesn't end there. So, um, so the next uh, level of awakening is the Sakadagami, or the once returner. So, just as the stream entry is not coming back, you know, some, not too many more lifetimes, the once returner will only come back one more time. And the once returner has, has, uh, they say, attenuated, so lessened greed and hatred. So, seen through the illusions of of uh, of the sense world enough that they're not going to keep coming back again and again and again but they're not but there still is there still is some greed there still is some aversion it's not they're not free from that yet so that's a uh, sakadagami who will um is is destined for not more than one more birth in this realm and uh, and then the anagami is uh, completely free from greed and hatred. And they are, the anagami is the non-returner, will not return to this this world as, as a human being. But they haven't finished the work yet. Still a bit more to do. So they, um, the anagami at the, at, 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 you know, so if somebody realizes anagami in this as a human being, they will then be reborn in a, um, a kind of a deva realm where they live for, I forget how long it is, but very, 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 very long time. And at the end of that very, very long lifetime in this quite beautiful realm, they become enlightened. So that's not bad. <laughs> and uh, the, the um, Anagami, the, the, um, non the, the, the Brahma Viharas are kind of directly connected with the with the anagami, so if one, if one develops the Brahma Viharas, those those boundless states, that's like a an enormous support for. I don't know whether I don't know whether one can go straight from uh, from being um, a, you know not a stream enterer to anagami through the Brahma Viharas. I don't know. Why don't you try it and see? But uh, certainly they say that if one has realised stream entry, then then the practice of the Brahma Viharas. Is like, will take you leaps and bounds, and you can see that um, you know the Brahma Viharas they are directly countering greed and hatred. 
There's no room for greed and hatred when the Brahma Viharas are, are cultivated. So that's kind of wonderful. And um, and there's um, so for the Anagami, there's they're f they're free from greed, free from hatred, but there's still um, five more fetters, which I hope I can remember because I didn't bring my little paper with those on. And um, so the for the Arahant, those last, so those are the first five fetters. Um, for the stream entry, person uh, seeing through personality view, or the identification with the five candors, um, no longer having doubt in the in the triple gem, uh, not believing some kind of rites or rituals will lead to an awakening, and then there's the cutting of greed and the cutting of hatred in the anagami, which is a pretty big deal. And then the arahant is 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 refines and, and, and lets go of those last five fetters, which are very subtle. So there's um, attachment to the to the to the form realms which are connected with the with the, the four jhanas uh, attachment to the formless realms which are connected with the formless jhanas um, conceit I am um, restlessness and ignorance so those are the f last five and they, and we're talking subtle 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 levels so it can be a little confusing because in the, the stream enter is already seen through knows that the five aggregates are not who what they are, but you have to wait until you're you know, close to arahantship before you really let go of the sense of I am. And sometimes they talk about that as like a location, that there's a sense of location, that the, the mind or the consciousness is, has a sense of location, and then with the arahant that's liberated. So I, I can't talk about those things because I don't know anything about that. But I think Venerable Analio is going to go into a bit more tomorrow about the about Nibbana and so on. But uh, those last five are these are very subtle uh, fetters that, that hold one, keep one attached to a, a sense of, of being. So, uh, you know, these these stages are they have you know they have been over the over the over the years over the centuries over the millennia have been realized by human beings of all shapes and sizes all types have realized these stages of awakening and uh, surprisingly there are there are um, I've heard that there are there are monks in Sri Lanka who believe that it's not possible anymore to realize those stages of awakening, which to me is kind of baffling. But apparently there are people who believe that's not possible anymore, even though they are Buddhist. Um, but uh, to me that doesn't make any sense, because if, if this is the fruit of the practice, if the practice leads to awakening, then why would that be so? Why would it be so that that's not possible now? It makes no sense at all. So... Um, we need to find that attitude that is open to, interested in, moving towards those stages of awakening, but without grasping. It's that, it's that tricky place again. You know, as long as there's grasping, then we're kind of, we're somebody trying to get something, which will get in the way. Oops. And, um, 
And yet if we don't think about it, don't care about it, don't consider it as, as relevant, then we may just wander around and around forever and ever, doing a little bit of this, a bit of that. So uh, finding that relationship to the path, a sense of a sense of confidence that it is that this is possible. It needs it needs effort. It needs um, putting the right conditions in place. And it needs a, a kind of a sustained effort and attention to to uh, to actually break through. But it's not, you know, it is. It is. It's, I was going to say it's not out of reach. It's not. It is the fruit of the practice. So it's kind of tricky this whole stream entry thing because um, people do get very excited. Maybe you know, maybe somebody has a. An insight into impermanence, and they think, "Oh, you know, I had a, I had this insight into impermanence, so I must be a stream enter now." You know, but uh, it can, it's a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more powerful than that. Um, and so, you know, there's there's the trap of of believing one has has gained realization that one hasn't gained, and then there's the trap of thinking it's so difficult that I sh- I won't even try. It's hopeless. I won't even forget it, you know. So um, there are suttas where it, it does appear to be like a very difficult to attain state and there are others where it seems extremely easy. So there's one that I, I kind of found very kind of endearing actually and uh, just made little notes from it and it's um, it's about a, it's a Buddhist there's a, a layman who I think may have been a monk before he and, and then disrobed, um, Sarakani. And uh, Sarakani uh, became a drunk and uh, couldn't keep his uh, his drinking habit together, and so he was known as this kind of a bit of a wreck. And then at some point he died, and then the monks asked, "Oh, so what was his destination, Sarakani? You know that drunk?" And the Buddha said. He died a stream enterer, and they were like, "What? Him? You know, well, if he can be a stream enterer, then anyone can do it. I mean, this is ridiculous." <laughs> and uh, the Buddha says, uh, at the at the end of his life, he recollected the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and his heart was firm in faith for the triple gem. So he'd, you know, he'd he knew the Buddha already. He'd encountered the Buddha, and then. He'd gone. He'd gone off. He got lost. He he got off track, like way off track. But then, right at the end of his life, he remembered again. And uh, even though he'd been a drunk and he'd been, you know, like lost, really, at the end of his life, he remembered. And his heart was aligned with that faith in the triple gem. And so the Buddha said, you know, because of that, he died a stream enterer. And then he says this rather remarkable thing. He says to the monks, these monks who were kind of scorning that, that this guy could be a stream entry, he said, even if these great sal trees could understand what is well spoken and what is badly spoken, then I would declare these sal trees to be stream entries. Trees. So how much more then, Sarakani, the Sakyan, 
Sarakani undertook the training at his time of day. So, uh, it's a little elusive, isn't it? What, you know, you can't quite pin down, so how do you get it? How do you get there? But uh, this, this, um, this confidence in the, in the, in the triple gem is, is a very key part of the path. And then, like I was saying, bringing together the, the causes and conditions, you know, good friends, retreat settings, times of extensive practice, keeping sila, discussing the Dharma, practicing the Dharma, all of these things support the ripening of this uh, path. So I just uh, want to tell a little story. When I first went to live in the, in the monastery um, in England, there, was a, there were two old women there that Ajahn Samoda had invited to live there in their old age. And uh, one was a laywoman who'd been a, a, a scholar and a Dhamma teacher, and the other was a, quite, quite a kind of radical character um, who had... Um, done all kinds of very interesting things in her life and, and had developed schizophrenia. So she was in and out of, of the mental institutions with, with schizophrenia. And um, forgive me, those of you who know the story already. But, and at some point, uh, during the first couple of years that the monks were in London, they didn't yet have a monastery as such, they were in a, in a flat in London opposite a pub, you know, having come from the forest in Thailand. <laughs> So, <laughs> a little challenging. And, and at some point there wasn't enough dana, there wasn't enough money coming in to pay the bills. So it looked like they were going to have to go back to Thailand and just kind of give up on having, you know, the, 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 on the, the Ajahn Chah lineage being established in, this, in, in the UK, in the West. And um, this woman who, who had uh, schizophrenia, she was then called Beth Trigas. Trigaskis. She heard about that and she had a, a grand piano. So she was a she loved to play the grand piano, but she had rather small fingers, small hands. So she couldn't she never became a professional. But she had this piano that she loved. It was you know her, her absolutely prized possession. And when she heard that the monks were going to have to go back to Thailand, she sold her grand piano to pay the bills so that they could stay. And so thanks to her, you know. I've been able to stay as a nun, and many, many, you know, Bayagiri's happened, and all of these, uh, many uh, people have had uh, access, and also many of the, the Dharma books that are available have, in a way, kind of, without her doing that generous act, none of that may have happened. So when she became old and, and was in and out of institutions, Ajahn Samodo, without discussing it with the nuns, invited her to come and live with the nuns. <laughs> <laughs> And so when I when I arrived at the monastery, she was there, and she was 89 when I arrived. And uh, she wore white. She was a, a like an eight preceptor, and she was a pretty amazing woman. So she could be very very crazy, and she could also be very sound. And she had this really really deep faith in the in the triple gem. It was so deep, and you know all around her room were pictures of monks and nuns and shrine, and she she was just very one pointed on the the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, very one-pointed. And um, as she came into her 90s, she started to get very sick. And so the nuns were taking care of her. We were just 
um, we weren't we didn't call hospital and I think we, it's not quite such a good system back then in, in the UK and so we were just kind of you know meeting with the needs of this woman and and uh, she became very very sick and she we found out at some point that she had colon cancer and that was obstructing her her digestive system so she was sorry to go into the details but she was vomiting this black horrible horrible black stuff you know that's from somewhere way down in the digestive system and uh, she was incredibly patient with this she didn't she never complained she was just very patient vomiting this horrible stuff and lying down and we would try and make her comfortable and talk with her and and uh, and this went on for quite some weeks and then at some point she asked one of the nuns who was she was very close to she asked permission to die is it all right if i die you know and this nun said yes it's all right so she wasn't you know telling her to, to take her own life or anything she was just saying it's okay you can let go now so she she um went into a sort of a deeper state closer to death and her actual death moment she was in her bed surrounded by monks and nuns who were chanting her two favorite chants it was the the uh, metta sutta and the morning chanting which goes through the teaching on the f- the five aggregates as being uh, impermanent not self and dukkha so and on the last word of the last chant she breathed her last breath so um who knows she may have died a stream entry despite having this really crazy mind like really crazy at times she may well have died a stream entry so um you know whatever your particular lot is <laughs> it's good enough make good use of it yeah. I once had the opportunity to meet, uh, three times actually, meet uh, Venerable Mahagosananda. Um, there are pictures of him and the Dalai Lama in the, in, down in the bookstore and, and they're both bowing and they're both trying to get lower than the other one and I think the Dalai Lama manages to get a little bit lower than Mahagosananda. He was a Theravada Cambodian monk and uh, each time I met him it was life-changing. So uh, the first time was just very short but it, it was like, wow. It's, I, I've never seen anybody like that before. Um, he was uh, radiant, playful, mischievous, kind. Um, there was a sense of complete acceptance. Like um, the first time I met him, I was I was an, an anagarika, a novice, and uh, and I was asked to make tea. He just turned up. He used to just kind of get on a plane and turn up somewhere without telling people he was coming. So he just kind of turned up one day at the monastery and, and then it's like, oh, you know, can somebody make tea with a special tea set? And so I was the kitchen manager at the time, so I went and got the special bone china tea set out and made this very nice tea and brought it in and felt terribly shy, you know, very kind of like, oh, am I doing something wrong? And there was no table, I didn't know where to put it. And, and then I, I felt his mind reach out and just, it was as though he said, my sister. And I don't think that was, you know, personal it was just every every everyone was his sister or his brother and uh, this beautiful quality and he was uh, you know cambodian and you know cambodia went through the most horrendous destruction in the, in the 70s and during that time during the khmer rouge he was in a 
a monastery in Thailand practicing and uh, listening on the news to these terrible atrocities and he just wanted to go back. He wanted to go home to his country to help people and, and his teacher said, don't go, just stay here, keep practicing and then you'll have something really worth sharing. Then you'll be able to go back and take something really valuable back. So he did that and he went through terrible ang anguish, terrible grief, terrible anguish. And, um, and then came through that and came out the other side. And uh, when I met him, I can say for certain, there was not a trace of greed and not a trace of ill will in him. Not a trace. And it was like this, this being that is just living from a place of presence and um, very spontaneous and uh, loving, compassionate, very bright. He had a very bright mind. And there was just this, this way of meeting life that was not like anything I'd ever seen before. It was remarkable. And it was as though like, you know, you could put him, he, could, he could have been in a dark room and he would just light the room up with his radiance. Very, very beautiful being. So for me, that's, uh, I don't know whether he was an anagami or an arahant, I don't know, but he, he certainly was free from those, uh, those fetters, those obscurations. So it's a, it was a great, um, you know, even though I, I, there's a lot of work to do, it's a great incentive or a great encouragement to actually see someone who has actually purified those qualities. And uh, an enormous blessing in the world to have someone who's purified, who's no longer, you know, who's free from greed and hatred and the, and the delusion of, of self. So uh, we all have this potential. And uh, whatever we start with is where we have to start. And we just do the work and we keep practicing. We keep exploring, we keep applying the, the awakening factors. We keep reminding ourselves of the Eightfold Path. Because these are the supports for awakening. And it doesn't matter how long it takes or, you know, whether somebody's doing it quicker than us or, it doesn't matter. We just, just set your mind in that direction and keep going and keep exploring, keep investigating. So I want to share a poem with you from this book that I've mentioned. It's, it's, it's actually unnamed, it doesn't have a name yet, the book. Uh, it's, not, it's still in progress, but it, it's uh, by Maddie Weingast and it's a, it's a heart translation of the Terigata, the versus the awakened, or the early nuns, early, early Buddhist nuns. And this is Dhammadina's poem. So Dhammadina was foremost in uh, expounding the Dhamma. She was a bhikkhuni, was foremost in expounding the Dhamma, although we've only got one of her teachings, unfortunately, come down. I'm sure she gave many, many. And uh, this is a, it's an adaptation of her enlightenment poem. For so long, I thought only of the river's end. Then one day, I put my paddle down 
to watch the sun rise over the eastern hills, only to find myself floating somehow, gently upstream. I promise it was not what I had expected. <laughs> so. So we put in the work, put in the work, and then at some point we let go. Can you read it again, please? I'll try, yeah. Uh, let me see. For so long, I thought only of the river's end. Then, one day, I set my paddle down to watch the sun rise over the eastern hills only to find myself floating somehow, gently upstream. I promise, it was not what I had expected. So I'd like to offer that tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.